I want to share with you a message that I feel the Lord has placed on my heart for this particular service. I, uh, I always like to take the scripture, and in fact, Vicki and I spend a great deal of time studying the scripture together. And what I love to do is to take the scripture and read those familiar passages of scripture. And what I normally ask is, God, help me to see something new, something that I have not seen before in this passage of scripture. And the interesting thing about God's word is you can read it hundreds of times, but there's always new revelations. So I'm going to read to you a familiar passage of scripture from John chapter 4. You will recognize it as the story of the Samaritan woman. And the title that I've given this message is Wells, Wounds, and Water Jars. When you look at the scripture, wells have played an incredible part of scripture throughout the Bible. But in this particular place, the Samaritan woman meets the Messiah at a well. But that meeting with the Messiah became so overwhelming to her that she literally forgot what she came to the well to receive. And she left her water jar. And so let's read, if you will, follow with me in John chapter 4 beginning with verse number one and reading down through verse number 15. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And he came to the city, a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. When the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drink from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become to him a fountain 
of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for this wonderful opportunity to bring the word of God. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people today. You know the message that you've laid upon my heart. Let the words that I speak not be words conjured up in my own brain and my own heart, but let them be words preconceived by your Holy Spirit and designed for this service. Drive them to the hearts of those individuals who need to hear this message. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. It was noon, and Jesus and his disciples were tired, hungry, and thirsty. After all, they had been traveling all day in the hot desert sun, on foot. And they had left the city of Jerusalem on their way to Galilee and came to a city in Samaria called Sychar. Now, the reason Jesus left the city of Jerusalem was that the Pharisees were literally upset with Jesus. It appears that they had been keeping record about baptisms and they had concluded that Jesus was making more disciples than John the Baptist and that upset them. John the Baptist was already in prison and Jesus knew that it was not the time for him to be arrested. And so he said to his disciples, let's depart from Judea and go to Galilee. But he also said to his disciples, it is necessary. I need to go through Samaria. Now that must have seemed rather strange to his disciples because you see, the Jews did not normally travel through Samaria. Samaria was right between Galilee and Judea, between Jerusalem and Capernaum. And most of the Jews going from Jerusalem to Capernaum or from Judea to Galilee would actually go three days out of the way through the Jordan Valley because going through Samaria could have been dangerous for a Jew because the Jews and the Samaritans had become enemies and that, that animosity had grown over the centuries. It was literally more than just a feeling of my religion is better than your religion. It was more racial prejudice. In fact, the Jews often referred to the Samaritans as dogs and on one occasion actually referred to the Samaritans as being demons. And so the disciples, when they reached the well of Jacob, the Bible tells us that Jesus sat down at the well. Many of the earlier translations tell us that he actually sat on the well. But then the Bible says that his disciples went into town to buy food, which raises the question, how many disciples does it take to buy food? Twelve disciples 
had gone into the city to buy food and left Jesus alone at the well. And not only did they leave him alone at the well, but they left him without a water bucket. In those days, the wells were sort of communal. And you wouldn't find a bucket at any of the wells because someone would have taken it away. So people traveling would always travel with a collapsible leather bucket. And obviously the disciples had taken the bucket into town with them. And while Jesus was sitting by the well or on the well, the Bible tells us that a woman of Samaria came to draw water. We don't know her age. We don't even know her name. In fact, she's known only as the woman, the woman of Samaria, or the woman at the well. But most of the messages that you have probably heard about this woman categorize her as one of the bad girls of the Bible. But I want to just kind of set the record straight because I've searched the scripture over and over again and I don't find anywhere where John indicates that she was a bad girl of the Bible. Oftentimes I think uh, it's easy for preachers, especially men, to find some reason to put women in different categories than men. We never seem to want to talk about the bad men of the Bible. And I can assure you there were plenty of them. But we seem to always want to talk about the bad girls of the Bible. But let me tell you this. There there was actually a prayer in Jesus' days that was popular among Jewish men. And this is how the prayer went. Oh Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, that I am not a slave, and that I am not a woman. (laughs) So that sort of puts the category of women in a different setting than we have today. Thank God. And let me just pause here to put this in parenthetically. I could go the rest of my life without ever hearing a preacher degrade women from the pulpit and I will have already heard too many sermons about that. Amen? You women ought to give a praise for that. The Samaritan woman approaches Jesus and she gives him that that glaring gaze, the stranger sitting at the well, she recognizes immediately that he is a Jew. And she expects that being a Jew, he's going to do what the Jewish law, especially the rabbinical law, required of a Jewish man when he was in the presence of a woman in public. He was always expected to take several steps backward. But she noticed that Jesus never moved. The interesting thing is that Jesus never followed the rules of the day. He sometimes broke those rules, which caused 
difficulty with the religious people of his day. But Jesus watches the woman intently as she drops her bucket into the well. And as she pulls her bucket of water out, Jesus says to her in John 4 and 7, give me a drink of water. Now the woman must have been shocked. A Jewish man actually spoke to me. In fact, that could well have been the first Jewish man that has ever spoken to her. And she gathered enough courage to respond rather sarcastically in verse number nine. How is it that you being a Jew ask of me, a Samaritan woman, a drink of water? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. If I were to paraphrase that, she's saying something like, you don't mean that you would take a drink of water from the hand of an unclean thing like me, do you? Her words are dripping with sarcasm. The Jews referred to the Samaritans as dogs or, or as, as being outcasts because of their separation over the centuries. But Jesus stretches forth his hands and takes from her a drink of water. And receiving that water from the Samaritan woman, Jesus gives dignity to the woman. And he says to her, in all tenderness and compassionately, in John 4 and 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink of water, you would have said to him, give me a drink. And she said to him, and you know, I can imagine she must have found that response a bit amusing because the Samaritan woman looked at him and said in verse number 11, sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. How are you going to get this living water that you promised to me? You see, because he said it's the gift of God. And for this woman, the gift of God was primarily the five books of Moses, the Torah. They did not accept the prophets. To the Jews, the gift of God was the Torah plus the prophets. And to the Arabs or to the Muslims, it was the Koran. But Jesus is saying to her, the gift of God is not a book. The gift of God is not a, a mountain where you worship. The gift of God is not religion. The gift of God is a person. And I am here to introduce you to that person. And so Jesus then began the conversation with this woman and the interesting thing is he never accuses her. He never tries to dig up anything about her past. He recognizes that she is a woman searching for hope. And so the woman who came to the well that day carried her water pot. But the wounds that she brought to that well were heavier than any burden of her water pot. She had so many conflicting wounds. The Bible does tell us that she has five husbands, and I can hear somebody say, aha, 
So she was the bad woman of the New Testament. Well, you have to understand a little bit about the Samaritan laws and the, and the rules of the Samaritans of that day. I was sharing with my wife, Vicki, yesterday as I went online to look at some of the rules of the Samaritans in terms of their earlier marriage. And I actually saw some pictures of some infant baby girls who had already been betrothed. So here's the point. In that Samaritan culture, the woman had no choice in the matter. She could not choose who she was going to marry, and she could not by by law divorce anyone. And so the rabbis had taken the laws of Moses, and the rabbis, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, had literally added their own little twist and their caveats to the law of Moses. For example, I found some time ago in one of the ancient documents of rabbinical law in the days of the early Samaritans. Say, for example, the scripture Deuteronomy 24 and 1. Moses says that a man can divorce his wife if he finds no favor in her. And so the rabbinical people, the, the rabbis had taken that and had added to it. And so here were at least a few. There's a whole page of them, and I can't give you all of them. But let me just give you a few reasons that a man could divorce his wife in those days without any cause. Number one, if she spoils a dish because of carelessly seasoning or burning the food. If she goes into the street with her hair down, she could be divorced. Or if the man finds someone he likes better. Or if she's seen conversing with a man in public. Or if she is too noisy. And I actually found that there was a description as to what it means to be too noisy. If she's ever heard by the neighbors, she's too noisy. So the fact is that a woman had no choice in marriage. And no choice in divorce. And so I I just felt like I needed to come here to at least say, let's stop adding to the scriptures and making up our own stories about who people are. Amen? We know that she had been married five times. We know that the man she's living with is not her husband, but we do not know the circumstances. And so the point of it is, Jesus made it very clear in the way he approached the situation that I'm not going to talk to you about your sins. I'm going to talk to you about how you receive deliverance and how you receive a water of living water that will give you life for eternity. That's what Jesus wants to talk about. He's not going to make her feel guilty. He is there to relieve her of her wounds. 
We all come to Jesus with our wounds. And and they're the wounds of sin. Some of them are self-inflicted. Others are inflicted by others. And sometimes we have many ways that we try to push those wounds out of our sight. We, We try to get them out of our memory. But as much as we try to forget them, our souls won't let us forget. They keep coming back. They keep popping up again. There's always something that keeps reminding us of the past. Our problem is that we have a tendency to remember what we should forget and to forget what we should remember. And all of us, if we look back over our past, are going to come to the well with wounds. I imagine this woman was suffering from the wounds of shame. We don't know the reason for the five husbands. We don't know why they abandoned her. They didn't really have to have a reason. But she came to that well undoubtedly feeling the shame of the past. And let me just tell you this. I've I've done lots of counseling in my life, Pastor, with people who have sinned and done horrible things. And the, the worst thing sometimes for us to push out of our mind is the shame. If, if, if we could turn shame into a, a usable fuel, we could put the fossil fuel business out of business. Because all of us come with shames of the past. But I've just come by Times Square once again to remind you that when you bring your shame and your sins to Jesus, he washes away your shame, washes away your wounds. And all of us come to Jesus with wounds that are hidden. Wounds that we we wouldn't want to talk with anyone about. Wounds that we wouldn't want to share with anyone But thank God when this woman came to Jesus, he did not bring up her past. He didn't bring up the shame. He didn't bring up the wounds of her past. He simply came to her with a positive message of hope. The good news is that our shame is his opportunity to express his grace. Isaiah 54 and 4. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. And in Romans 10 and 11, as the scriptures have said, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. You know, sometimes we get this idea that we're going to get in the presence of God and he's going to remind us of all of the bad things we've done. Several years ago, I was preaching in Misawa, Japan at a service men's center. And uh, there was a testimony service before I was asked to speak. And many of the service men in Misawa, Japan stood up, the men and women to tell about their past. Some had been on drugs and some had been alcoholics. Even one young lady testified to in her earlier teen years of being a prostitute. And, and, and I, I went ahead and preached my message that night on forgiveness and I saw several that came around the altar. 
And while they were at the altar praying, I never had this to happen before and never had it happen since. But I walked over by the piano to the right of the stage and I opened my Bible to the book of Colossians. And the verse will not come to me immediately now, but it's the verse of scripture in Colossians where Paul tells us that not only has God forgiven us of our sins, but he has blotted out the handwriting of evidence that was against us. And so while I was standing there, it was almost like the devil just said to me, you've given false hope to these young people, but I know everything they've ever done. And when I get them in the presence of God, I'm going to tell God every bad thing they've ever done. And then I just walked to the edge of the platform and said to those young servicemen and women, stand up, I have something to tell you. And they stood up and I said, the devil just whispered to me that when he gets you in the presence of God, he's going to tell God all the bad stuff you've ever done. But I've got good news for you. God not only has forgiven you of your sins, but he has blotted out the evidence. And when Satan gets you in the presence of God and he opens up his little attache case and he says, God, before you let this one in, I've got some stuff I want to tell you about him or her. And he opens the book to the first page and it's blank. He goes to the middle of the book and it's blank. He goes to the end of the book and it's blank. Because not only have your sins been forgiven, but he has blotted out the evidence. Hallelujah. I had a lawyer friend one time to tell me that when he tried a case, if he had the facts that he pounded on the jury, if he had just a little bit of evidence, he pounded on the judge. If he didn't have any evidence at all, he pounded on the table. And I guarantee you the devil's going to be a lot of pounding on the table because he has no evidence against you. All of your sins are gone, washed away by the blood of Jesus. So there was the well and there was the woman who came to the well with her wounds. But there's another beautiful part of the story. Listen to this. In verse number 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. Her water jar was empty, but her heart was full. She became the first woman preacher. <laughs> and she went into the city and spread the good news. I just think I have met the Messiah. Come and see for yourself. And the men came from the city and invited Jesus to stay with them for three days. And at the end of that time, they said to the woman, we don't believe him because of what you said, but we believe him because of what he has said. 
and they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus reasoned with her in John 4, 13 and 14. Whoever drinks this water will never thirst again. Oh, no, let me say that again. Whoever drinks this water, and he, he there has to be pointing to the well or to her bucket. Whoever drinks this water, he says, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become to him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. Praise God forevermore. And what Jesus is saying is this. This water is temporal. It only satisfies for the moment. And you know, there's so many of us in our lives have put so much confidence in those things that are temporal, that are going to pass away. Listen, if you can park it in the garage, if you can deposit it in a bank, if you can hang it around your neck, if you can put it on your finger, if you can hold it in your hand, if you can eat it, drink it, put it in your pocket, it's going to pass away. But what God has promised us will never pass away. It is eternal. It is everlasting. So whatever else you get from this message, don't miss these five important principles. Number one, the gift that God gives is his grace and his mercy. It's living water. It's not stagnant. If you drink of it, you will never thirst again. It's always there to satisfy you. This water becomes a spring, a well of living water. It's, it's not like that you don't need to take a sip of it every once in a while. But the point of it is you don't have to go to the well to get it because it's inside. It's bubbling up. It's always with you. It's always present. And if I had time, I could tell you what Jesus said in the seventh chapter of John about the Holy Spirit being like a, a gushing river of living waters within us. It's alive. Jesus said in John 7, 37, for the scriptures declare that rivers of living waters shall flow from the innermost beings of your soul. Now, we all know, I'm sure you've heard this, that water always finds the lowest point. That's why it always flows downhill. It goes to the lowest point. The living water that's offered by Jesus Christ will flow to the lowest points of your life. It flows to the deepest wounds. There are so many examples. David had a child through adultery and had his lover's husband murdered but went on to become a man after God's own heart. Or there was Mary Magdalene possessed by demons and yet she became the first person to see the risen Christ. Or look at the Samaritan woman had a long line of broken relationships and her marital situation made her a social outcast. But after she met Jesus Christ, she became the first missionary to her village. 
And there are so many other stories that I could tell you of. But the point of it is, so many times we see the issues. We see the sins of people. This person's a drug addict. They could never be saved. This person's a prostitute. This person's an alcoholic. Jesus never looked at the issue. He always looked at the person. And I just want to say, church, it's time for us to stop looking at the issues and start looking to the people. These are people made in God's own image. And they, with the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, can be filled with the Holy Spirit as much as any one of us. We are all so undeserving. Would you just give the Lord glory? So I see that water pot as a metaphor. She came to satisfy her temporal longings. But Jesus said, you don't need to just satisfy it temporarily. Let me give you something that will last for eternity. Pastor, that's what I feel like I'm doing here today. I'm not here to offer you anything temporal. Anything that's tangible, anything that will pass away. But I am here to say to you, if you don't know Jesus, you can come to know him in fullness and you can have eternal life. And let me tell you something else that the Lord laid on my heart to say to you today. I just felt very strongly that there would be individuals who would be here who may feel that you are bound by some habit. You're bound by some habit that you can't break yourself and you keep going back to it to try to find satisfaction and eventually the law of diminishing returns set in it doesn't satisfy you I've been serving Jesus Christ since I was a child and I want you to know I feel just as happy and clean and pure and just as thrilled to be a Christian today as I've ever been in my life it's like a spring of living water bubbling up within. And so the Lord wanted me to say to you, if you've come here with that habit you can't break, if you've come with a sin that you cannot push aside yourself, just metaphorically bring your water pot to the well and leave it. You don't have to lug it around anymore. <laughs> Thank God. You don't have to lug it around anymore because he will give you everlasting life. I want our musicians to come, if you will. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now, if you will. And let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, there are people in this audience who need to know that God's healing power is enough. There are individuals, God, in this church today who need to come into your presence and risk asking the question, my God, can you heal my deepest wounds? Can you give me satisfaction? And Lord, if they open their hearts, they will hear the astonishing response from you. All things are possible with me. And then, God, I'm asking you to help them just to leave 
their burdens, leave their cares, leave their habits, leave their sins at this altar and walk away, Lord, with the joy of the Lord springing up everlastingly in their heart. Lord, there's no place so dark that the love of Christ can't reach and heal the deepest wounds in Jesus' name. While we get a musical number here, if there's anyone in this audience that says, Pastor Lamar, there are issues in my life that I really need to leave at this altar. There are issues that I need to find forgiveness for. And there are things that I need to leave behind. I want you to come right now and give us an opportunity to pray with you that the Holy Spirit would fill you with that everlasting joy, that everlasting peace. Praise God. Brother Vest has asked me to come and pray with you, pray for you. I want to leave you with a thought. The Bible tells us that if anyone is in Christ, if you've come to Jesus Christ, if you've opened your heart and you, you let him come to you, you become a new creation. You are recreated by the power of God inside of you. As you heard today, you're, you're, the wrongs you've done against God are washed away. And all things, the old things are passed away. The old wounds that in your life, the old, the old words that were spoken, the things that haunt you in your mind, the things that you learned to believe about yourself when you were young. Maybe somebody else did to you or told you about yourself. Suddenly, they, they're passed away. They lose, they lose all their power to dominate your present, and they have no right to your future. You are a new creation in God. And you say, well, pastor, what do I do? Let me just give you a, a little bit of a hint. You don't sip a river. You open your mouth and you let it fill you. You don't come to Christ for a sip of him. You open your heart. Say, God, fill me. Fill me with living water. Fill me with your presence. Fill me, fill me, God, with yourself. And take me, take me to that place that you've, you've designed for my life. And that place where, as this woman did in Samaria, where I become a messenger of who you are to others. Where I say to others, come and see, come and see this man that, that told me everything I've ever done, but loves me and offers me life and is not condemning me. Come see this man. And you become a new person. Everyone that God touches becomes new. Everyone. Everyone, you get a new mind, you get a new heart, you get a new purpose in life, and you get new gifts to accomplish that purpose. Open your heart wide, not just a little bit. You do not sip Jesus. Open your heart wide and let God fill your life today. Pray this little, this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm thirsty and I need healing. So I open my heart to you because you love me. And I ask you to fill me with forgiveness. Fill me with cleansing, with a new heart, new life, new hope. 
and a new future. Take away the wounds of my past and let the shame of them not dominate my life anymore. I receive your offer of living water and I thank you for loving me. From this day forward, I believe that because of you, I'm forgiven and I'm a brand new person. Thank you for loving me, for receiving me, and for filling me. In Jesus' name.